Reimagining Black Relations, a podcast on solutions to issues relating to the Black race. Hello, dear Reimagining Black Relations listeners. This is to thank you for your support since we launched the podcast on August 1st of this year. I also want to thank all our very bold, powerful, and influential guests that became the frontline speakers on the subject. We've completed 18 episodes to date, in addition to a global conference themed Black Esteem. It was incredible how far we have come. Not only that, I've spoken in various settings as we try to reimagine Black relations in organizations, businesses, and various institutions. During the same period, we've interviewed key people from Africa as well, still on the same subject of Black relations, but on the continent of Africa. The journey is truly praiseworthy. As we close out the year, I want to reflect on some key comments from our guests and remind you that you can still listen to them or invite your contacts to do the same. I'll introduce them briefly and play their soundbite to remind you of the content. Number one, race is one aspect. Alison Beard James, Associate Vice Chancellor at UCLA Corporate Financial Services, spoke about a multiracial family structure and some of their challenges. She shared her perspective on white privileges and her vision of advancing a united human race. Alison is a white female executive married to a Black man, and they both raised three Black men. She hopes to visit Africa one day. You know, um, I think, you know, there certainly is a white privilege. I would like to think that we could get to a society where people treat people well, regardless of of what they look like. So it's not that I'm going to be treated less well, but that an African-American will be treated as well as me. I guess when when I think about it, it almost looks like in society that um, people decide where they rank in society and they always want to have someone that ranks lower than them. Number two, titled Fear, Root Cause of Racism. Belinda Kendall, Chief Executive Officer of Promise Media Group, shared her insight from both spiritual and social perspectives. She expressed the uniqueness of law enforcement officers' relationship between Blacks and whites and shared her understanding of the historical significance of the badge. Ms. Kendall reminded us to consider the impact of this racial discourse to both adults and children, particularly when they return to work and school. She's concerned about the misunderstanding between Black Lives Matter and White Lives Matter. Tell them the number one selling car in the world is either Black or White. Every dignitary in the world rides in a Black car. Every woman is encouraged to have that little black dress in their closet. Every high-class dinner is called a black tie affair. There's nothing wrong with the color black until it's applied to skin. Number three, get comfortable being uncomfortable. Dr. Ward Omer, president of Walden University, is confident our generation can make a positive change that will be felt by future generations. He believes that each and every person is a product of their upbringing. And considering we all came from the same place, 
it is not okay to be racist, he said. He asserted that while he cannot control his white privilege, he can control whether he is racist or not. With the Walden community, he's committed to ensuring a safe, respectful, and open forum for people of all backgrounds. I think what makes this so raw and so real is we saw a human being killed. We saw George Floyd killed. And and we saw a white police officer be pretty nonchalant about caring whether he could breathe or not. And when you see something like that, and I have to tell you, I've, I've seen the video one time because I don't want to see it again. I can't make myself watch it again. Number four, stop being a spectator to success. Dr. George Fraser, a global award winner with over 350 awards and citations around the world, became a recipient of Presidential Lifetime Achievement Award under President Barack Obama in 2016. Dr. Fraser is the chief executive officer of FraserNet Inc. He called the Black race to order, expressing their need to understand their roots as descendants of kings, queens, and warriors. He reminded them that the 400 years of slavery was just a blip. The history before the 400 years must be modeled, rekindled, and reported on and seen by the children. Dr. Fraser affirmed the need for Blacks to demonstrate to the world who they really are, mothers and fathers of humankind who civilized the world. He asserted that Blacks have a moral and spiritual obligation to live to this expectation and cannot be less than excellence. Only white people can be mediocre and average. Black people cannot be mediocre and average in America. How do we know this to be profoundly true? Donald Trump versus Barack Hussein Obama. Only a white man could rise to leader of the free world with the level of ignorance that he's displayed for the last three and a half years. That's mediocrity personified. So we could never do that. If Barack Hussein Obama had said or done one one thousandth of what Donald Trump had done. Number five, economic equity is the energy. Vips Kapadia, a brown British executive and chief executive officer of ThinkShift, spoke about his experience as an Indian Brit and his perception on racism towards Black people. He affirmed that nothing will help other than a more equitable distribution of wealth within a capitalist structure. Maybe not so much now, but certainly when I was in my sort of late teens, um, I, I did often find um, physically imposing black people frightening. Just, just, just viscerally, oh my God, I'm, I, I, I could be in trouble here. And I, and I do remember thinking that that person looks shifty or that person looks dangerous. I need to be careful. And the, the Number six, performance and preparation. Dwayne Filey, chief of staff at Walmart, spoke about his experience as a black man, his keys to success and the shortcomings in corporate. For me, I've been in such a white world where I'm the only brother most of the time that I've code shifted so much that I don't even know how to go back. I don't, I, I don't, I don't even, I, I just do it 24 seven because I'm, I'm all. Number seven, role of Africa. 
Renowned anthropologist, Dr. Eric Montgomery, walked us through the beginning of time through now. He shared critical facts such as out of Africa, OOA, and introduced us to the concept of decolonization of minds. He mentioned key points, including people are afraid of Black people. Blacks enslaved other Blacks the inaccuracy of the history of the world's first millionaire, and profit solutions for Blacks, whites, racist, and African nations. But the most important thing, the elephant in the room, is this is about class. By having poor white people or working class white people believe they're not Mexican, they're not Black, they're not that bad, that's the game. And the truth is, is the same system oppressing those working class white people. And there's some poor areas of Appalachian, some of these farms, just like the hoods, girl, they're poor. But by making them believe that these black people sucking off the system free, that don't, I mean, you're Nigerian. Nigerians are the most educated people in the United States. They have more masters, more upper division degrees than anybody in the United States. People don't know that. How do we not? Number eight, top down strategy is next. Matt Smith was vice president at RGP. He shared his thoughts about the genesis of the gangs, challenging socioeconomic systemic issues, and profit top-down solutions to meet the energy from the ongoing bottom-up engagements. When it doesn't really touch you at home, it's a concept. And then as kids or young adults, you start to look for reasons why things may be why, you know, where they are. Like, why were there the Watts riots or why was there such an uproar over Rodney King being beaten by those policemen? You start to try to figure out a way. Well, it must make logical sense. There's probably some justification to that. There's something going on in that world that they're doing wrong. That Number nine, memoirs of a black female executive. Valerie Shepard, a black female executive, took us on her journey to the top her struggles for acceptance among whites and not being Black enough for Blacks. Her call to action were profound. I have been enculturated white in a Black body. It was always instilled in me that Black people have to work twice as hard to get half as much. Like, that was just a given. I'm a child of the 60s. The 1960s were a very tumultuous time in terms of Black-white relations in this country no more or less tumultuous than the rest of the history of Black-white relations in this country. But for me, that was the that was the beginning. And so outwardly, it's obvious I'm Black. I don't pass for something not Black. I am Black or of Black. Number 10, lean in. Vicki Shellington is a white female South African-born executive. She introduced us to white life in South Africa during apartheid. While describing the subtleties of white privileges in her everyday life, she also provided insight at the C-suite. And, yeah, it's it's just inconceivable to me that that's what you you live through. And it's embarrassing to me to not even know that that was going on. And I have never even thought to ask. And these are my friends that I had no idea that this was. Number 11, vote first. Stephen Hill, a Black male executive, most recently the president of programming at BET, shared his thoughts on pre- and post-crack relationships with law enforcement, the importance of supporting your own, and the criticality of making it home alive. I'm Officer Friend Lee, the friendly officer. I'm Officer Friend Lee, the friendly officer. And 
his whole thing was like, when you see me, come up, shake my hand. Like, let's talk. And so I was in my interaction with police when I was very young because of the way the D.C. Uh, policing system was set up was one of like, he's my guy. Like the policeman on my block is my guy. Right. Number 12, amplify their voices. Jennifer Randolph, diversity, equity and inclusion executive, shared a personal experience on finding allies in interesting places and professionally how DEI works to benefit all stakeholders. And I would say in the first 30 days of working together and developing a rapport, he knew I was ready. And the education he gave me about what I needed to do to raise my visibility and to show my skills to this manager so that I could get to the next level was an education I have never forgotten. And he got me out of that program in less than six months. And I became a department manager at a suburban mall, hated every bit of it. Number 13, push, ask, it's okay. Dwight Coates, Chief Information Officer for CIPCO, expressed dismay about what America is experiencing in 2020 regarding racism. He shared his repertoire of actions, personally and professionally, to effect the change we need for the reimagined Black relations. But when I look back, could I have done more? Absolutely, could I have done more? And I think this, you know, terrible situation with George Floyd has just really awaken, you know, a lot of us to have conversations that we should have been having 20, 30 years ago. I mean, the fact that, you know, black women couldn't vote until the mid 60s, I was just learned that that's shocking to me. You know, I was born in the 70s. And to think that was there just 10 years ago, you think in your mind, maybe this was there 200 years ago or 100 years ago, but it was this recent. Number 14, propelling blacks propels everyone. Dr. Toluba Mishibi, a Nigerian-American female, shared her experience in the legal profession before she switched paths. She expanded on issues faced by Black women in academia, the intellectual fear faced by Black business leaders, and self-internalized racism among Blacks. That a white man with a criminal record has a greater chance of getting a job than a Black man with no criminal record and a college uh, degree. And so, you know, it goes back to how we see Black people in this country. A Black man who doesn't even have a, or a criminal uh, record is more likely to, to be seen as criminal or less worthy of employment than a white man who has actually committed a crime. Number 15, time to move from rhetoric to action. Dr. Sue Subok, a white female executive, is the provost of Walden University. She shared her experience as a Coast Guard captain and provided the specifics on the importance of higher education in driving the conversation forward. She emphasized the importance of critical listening, vulnerability, and skepticism. But more a series of events where you say to yourself that there's some kind of inequity or uh, disparate treatment because of a, a confluence of events or systems that are influencing decision-making. Yeah. Number 16, be patient, give people a chance. Brian Levy, a Black Native American Indian executive, shared a different dimension to the Black phenomenon. He spoke on the intercession of the Natives and Blacks 
approach to navigating the success route and its strategies to improve the life of the marginalized. I see. And so she's been sheltered from that entire life. And I'm just, I'm, I'm really just more happy that she doesn't have to go through what I've been through, where, you know, I had to scrape and crawl through. And it was made known to me really early on throughout my entire life that, you know, I was not equal. And, you know, I've always had to, to double down. You know, the reason I have 30 certifications is because my mentality is always, you know what, if you want to make it, you have to prove that you're better than everyone. To Number 17. Excellence comes in all colors. Ken Bentley, Black Mill Executive and CEO of APG Tour, and previously Vice President at Nestle USA, spoke about his childhood experience as a Black inner-city kid from Los Angeles. He cited a number of Black role models that many are unaware of, and he discussed his path to the top at Nestle, the significance of Amen Corner, and bridging the opportunity gap. And my mother shows up because she had been parking the car. She shows up and she said, you know, I'm going to have the NAACP investigate this. This is racism. And here my mother was five feet tall. And here here is this woman five feet tall, you know, standing up for her son and standing up to this white establishment, you know, which were all men. And, you know, I was so impressed with my mom because, um, you know, that was an early. And the last but not the least for this season is number 18. Race predicts everything. Sola Bamis is a black female actress, writer, performance artist, producer and filmmaker in Hollywood. She discussed the inner workings of Hollywood the challenges and opportunities, and the big ask from the power players of Hollywood. But there is also a very, very, very predictable Hollywood system, you know, a Hollywood cast system that makes it so that, you know, the younger you are, the whiter you are, the thinner you are, the bluer your eyes, the blonder your hair, that is what affords you privilege as a performer or just as a person. And that those were the 18 guests that we've had to date. You can send me any feedback or guest recommendation at Francesca at yourblackmatters.com. Francesca is F-R-A-N-C-E-S-C-A at yourblackmatters.com. Once again, thank you for your rewarding and praiseworthy 2020. From my family to yours, I wish you a very Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. We'll take a two-week break and be back on the air on Saturday, January 9th, 2021. To all our guests, God bless you and your family. God bless all our listeners and may the Lord bless the United States of America. See you in 2021.